chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 tonight. Good to be here with you this morning, uh, this evening. Excuse me, as we're turning to Mark chapter nine, uh, I want to just take every opportunity I can when I'm publicly before the church to say thank you uh, for your investment in our family. Uh, there could be no North Brooklyn Baptist Church without Open Door Bible Baptist Church. In fact, as far as the tax man's concerned, we are Open Door Bible Baptist Church operating in Brooklyn. And so, um, but but in truth, we we are we are ministry of this church, and we thank you uh, for your investment. And God has been blessing. Us, we just celebrated one year since our first service. I got to pinch myself. I can't believe it. It's been that long. Now that's since our first service, not one year of services, because for four months we didn't have any services. Uh, if you remember, we uh, were displaced uh, just on uh, some errors of some men involved in the situation. But uh, God knew, and we had to go through that time. And so we're loving our new space there. We meet in. Uh, for those of you that haven't been, it's in a hundred-year-old rope factory on the Brooklyn waterfront. Uh, if you know where Greenpoint Avenue is, runs into Queens. If you take that all the way to the end, where it ends at the East River, we meet right there. And uh, God is blessed. We're in a very interesting area, um, uh, full of building full of startups. And so I just tell people, hey, we're a startup church, so perfect spot for it. It's in a building full of startups, and, uh, and God is blessed. We've seen many visitors come to the services. We've seen some people stay faithful. We've seen new people come and go, and it's, it's, been, a, it's been a challenge. It's been a journey. Uh, I'm learning a lot and uh, unlearning a lot, uh, but pa- having pastor there with us, uh, God's just um, let us meet some, uh, some other people in the city that are trying to get churches started or thinking about starting churches, and you know, they're sending churches in Wisconsin. It's in California. It's in Texas, and my sending church is 20 minutes away from where I live. I'm telling you, that, that is uh, rare, and it's a huge blessing, and I think it's even helping some guys that are coming here think about the idea of, well, maybe I need to get to talking to a local church in the area before I start trying to carve something out for myself. And uh, so I think the Lord's using your influence uh, just beyond North Brooklyn uh, as well into other areas. And uh, so I thank you for your prayers, and I thank you for your investment. Uh, we do have to pay the bills down there, and uh, we have a, a rented space that they send us a bill every month, if you can believe it, and uh, they want us to pay, and uh, we we give of our ourselves. Uh, the people there, uh, we have basically 100% participation in every offering. I don't I don't make sure to see who's giving, but it's a small group, so it's, I mean you can pretty much tell, and uh, and literally everyone gives every service, and it's not a lot, but everyone gives, and uh, but the what makes the bill get paid is is people here contributing. Above and beyond their tithes. Don't give your tithe to our church. We don't want that. Um, but it's people going above and beyond and just doing what they can to help. And I, I just thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for your investment there. And uh, people have been asking me even tonight, what's going on with that building? Just keep praying. I sound like, I've, I've probably seen like a broken record. You've probably heard me up here before saying that. Just keep praying. This is going to be a long-term prayer request, okay? But the Lord's doing things. We've had contact with Bill in the last couple weeks. Positive contact, good talk, you know, sort of thing. And um, we're going to be shoveling their sidewalk this winter. We want the building, right? So we got to, we got to do what it takes. That, what do you, you know, if, if if they gave it to us tomorrow, what would we, what would we be doing this winter? 
shoveling the sidewalk. And uh, so we're going to start now, even though it's not ours. Okay? And uh, they actually don't do it, and I think it's a bad testimony, so we're going to do it for them. And uh, we meet right down the street from where they are. So uh, just pray for us this winter. Maybe they'll, God will use We did it last winter, too, but uh, just pray that maybe God will use that in some way. And uh, that when he says it's time, that things will just happen the right way, okay? So Mark chapter 9 tonight, we're going to begin in verse 30. Mark chapter 9 and verse 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, Jesus and his twelve disciples. And would not that any man should know it. And he would not that any man should know it. Verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. And they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise again the third day. Now, just so that verse 32 makes a little sense, I just want to comment that this was shortly after the Mount of Transfiguration, where the disciples had seen him in all of his glory. And they thought the conqueror has come. Rome is going to be overthrown. Here we go. But But Jesus just said that he's going to be delivered and killed. And rise again, verse 32. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. Verse 33. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Uh, held their peace means they were embarrassed. <laughs> Okay. He knew exactly what they were arguing about. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, But him that sent me. And John answered and said unto him, saying, answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. And Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is in our part. For whosoever shall drink, shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ. Verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believeth in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were cast into the sea. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. We're going to comment more on this, uh, so just, just hang on. Where their, worm, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And he, he kind of continues that thought. We're going to come back to that. Let's look in uh, verse 50 to end our reading. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewith shall ye season it? Saltness, wherewith shall ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage tonight. And Lord, I pray that as we expound the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that um, they would speak to us as they are, but also speak to us where we are. And that, Lord, we'd see ourselves in this passage and and find strength to to be your disciples, to be your children, and to uh, address the needs of our lives uh, this very week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
like to speak to you for a few minutes tonight, well, more than a few minutes, but not too long, on uh, when Jesus sits you down. When Jesus sits you down. It's not a good feeling when somebody has to sit you down. I don't know when the last time that was for you. Maybe if you're a little older, then perhaps you haven't had to go through that lately. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. When your little child is excited, and uh, you've probably seen me do it with my kids here. They're running around. They're doing the laps around this place. And it's a lot nicer now with the carpet on the sides, right? You don't hear the dung, 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 dung as the kids are running around. But, you know, they're running and running and running. And then I have to stop them and say, okay, let's sit down and evaluate what you're doing here because it is not what we need you to do. And uh, I'm surprised I don't get a loud amen on that one, but I guess it doesn't bother you. And uh, like it bothers me, but uh, sometimes kids have to be sat down. Sometimes adults have to be sat down. Uh, I think particularly at work, uh, you have a perhaps you have an employee or a coworker or something like that, and they're gung ho about the wrong thing. <laughs> and uh, sometimes the boss has to bring them in the office, or or you have to sit them down and say, "Hey, I know you think you're doing the right thing here." But you're not, and you have to be sat down. Uh, I've even had pastors sometimes had to, had to take me and say, all right, Brother Mike, let me help you out. And he does it very graciously, but say, I need to sit you down. And you know what? The disciples were no different. Jesus had to sit them down. That what was coming out of their mouths was so extraordinary, was so misguided, was so off the mark from where, from where Jesus wanted them to be, that he literally, as our text is going to show us here, had to bring them together and sit down and speak with them. Now, why would he do that? Well, they had just uh, been witness to uh, some great miracles, and Jesus is now preparing the disciples. You see, because Jesus has been ministering in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, for those of you that uh, have visited in our services as helpers and workers, then uh, you know right where we are, because we've been preaching through the book of Mark uh, this year, and we're coming to this this place now in our uh, series there. And we call it uh, um, uh, pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ because Mark is written different from other Gospels, uh, especially the book of Luke and the book of Matthew. And, and even John, uh, to, to a large extent, is written sort of as a narrative. It's a continuous thought. It doesn't jump around much, especially Luke. He gave a lot of detail and a lot of extras to us. And when it comes Christmas time, we usually borrow heavily from the book of Luke because in the nativity story, there's a lot of detail there. And, um, but Mark is different. Mark is, um, is uh, he, uh, this is, uh, was largely influenced by the book of Peter, excuse me, by the Apostle Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, he was not, he was more of a uh, confrontational sort of guy, wasn't he? He was sort of a strong voice. Uh, he was the kind that jumped out and cut off the, 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 ear, of, uh, the ear of the guard. He was the type that, that said, let's build three tabernacles. And uh, he was the kind that said, Lord, bid me come out on the water. He was just a bold sort of personality, type A, you might call it. Uh, Peter was definitely uh, out there that way. And so the book of Mark sort of, it doesn't jump around. I think of it more as instead of a storyboard like you might have if you were making a, a cartoon or a movie, you would, uh, you would have a storyboard, different pictures that show um, in, in, in a lot of detail, each scene as it unfolds, uh, I, that would be like more, some of the other Gospels. But Mark, is, it's more like an art gallery where you go from where you have a central theme, but you go from one picture to another picture to another picture through the gallery. And I think the book of Mark is set up a little bit more that way. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But uh, that helps me. That helps me compartmentalize it a little bit. And uh, so that's how the book of Mark uh, sort of flows. 
And so we jump from picture to picture to picture. Now we jump from the disciples are, are now in this, this picture, if you will, or in this time in the ministry of Jesus where he is preparing them for something. You see, they've been kind of eyewitnesses to many miracles and been without a lot of understanding. Now Jesus is bringing some things to them now that he feels that they're ready for. And what he's told them now for the second time is, we're going to Jerusalem and I am going to die. Now, that just did not compute because for them, the Messiah was the conqueror. It was the one that Elijah had talked about. It was the one that John the Baptist had prophesied of, the one that was greater than him and the one that was going to come and free them from the oppression of Rome. The conquering king is who they were expecting. And so it just didn't compute when now he tells them in even greater detail. We're going to Jerusalem. In verse 31, he taught his disciples, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men. Now, notice how that's said. The son of man is delivered into the hands of men. Judas has not betrayed him yet. They're still north side of the Sea of Galilee. So they're nowhere near Jerusalem. Still quite a journey to go. And he says it as if it's already done. That, you know what, there's some things in life that you can change. There are some things that aren't inevitable. But there are some things in life that you cannot change. (laughs) And for Jesus, there was one thing that could not be changed. He was going to Jerusalem to his death. He knew that. And he shared that with the disciples. And it just really didn't compute. And I think last time I got to preach here, I kind of talked about that a little bit with the disciples, that often Jesus was telling them things, but they really weren't listening. And that's kind of how we are sometimes. We hear, but we're really not listening. Hopefully that's not you tonight. But, you know, sometimes we're like that. We have to be told over and over again. Um, uh, we're not listening. But so Jesus foretells of his death and his resurrection, but the disciples, they don't understand. And, you know, God's revelation, it often falls on deaf ears, even among Jesus' disciples then and his disciples now. God reveals to them, and it says, verse 32, but they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. I think it was just that spirit of embarrassment. I should probably already know about this, but I don't. You ever felt like that? I should probably already understand. I should understand what he's saying, but I'm just going to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's going to happen. But they were afraid to ask him any more. They, they were, they were just kind of embarrassed at their lack of knowledge, not understanding what was going on. There was some pride there. And so when he comes to Capernaum, which he had been to many times and enters into a house, possibly the same house, he says, what is it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? So in their travels, Jesus heard them arguing And they obviously didn't bring Jesus into the argument, didn't ask him themselves. So he just out of the blue asked them, hey, when we were traveling there, what were you guys arguing about? (laughs) And they were embarrassed, weren't they? It says, but they held their peace. Verse 34, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. You see, again, Jesus is going to be the conqueror. He's going to deliver us from Rome. He's going to set up his seat in Jerusalem. He's going to take care of everything for us. So let's get some hierarchy going. Let's get some structure going here. He's going to need some people to help him with this. So uh, let's decide who's the greatest among us. Well, of course, Peter, James, and John would have immediately said, well, that has to be us because we were just taken up to the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw Jesus in all his glory. We saw him speaking with Elijah and Moses. I mean, we've seen much more than you. We've been more, and of course, John had been uh, much more intimate, close with the Lord Jesus Christ than any of them. And uh, Peter had walked on water and so they immediately thought well this it must be us we're supposed to be the greatest we're supposed to be the leaders of this group and the kingdom that jesus is bringing in and with that sort of pride that sort of misunderstanding about the the direction of the lord jesus's ministry that they weren't going to jerusalem to conquer to jerusalem they weren't going to the seat of power there amongst the jews to conquer them no they were going there not for elevated status not for pride, not for rule, 
They were going there for humility, for scourging, for whipping, for crucifixion, for death. They were that Jesus's face was intent on a direction that was completely opposite from what the disciples had in mind, that he had just taught them back in chapter eight. Um, uh, if, uh, if, a passage that would be really good to memorize or at least really saturate your soul with there in the end of chapter eight, where it says, for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He mentions in verse uh, 34, he calls them together and said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So the disciples had just heard that teaching and you know where it went right over their heads. They didn't get it. They really didn't understand where they were going. I mean, they knew who they were following, and they were intent on following the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to beat them up too bad here. But the direction that God was going, the direction that Jesus was going, was not the direction in their hearts anyway that they were going. That what he had in mind for the future is not what they had in mind for the future. And so they come to this place where Jesus, in verse 25, it says, He sat down. And he called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So he calls the disciples together and he sits down, not stands up behind a pulpit and say, I'm going to tell you something. But in his gracious, meek and humble way. Remember Jesus in his physical form. He didn't have a halo on, you know, he wasn't glowing, wasn't floating around. He didn't have white robes on. Nobody wore white back in those days. That was that would be like a very silly thing to wear. It was a dirty climate and culture. And, you know, you would never wear white except for like extremely formal occasions. But I just want to remind you, if you're picturing this in your mind, because I often do, that Jesus was a very ordinary man. That's not blasphemy to say. That's his own. That's the Bible's testimony of him. He was an ordinary Jewish man that would not have been impressive to look upon in any way. He didn't use, you see the pictures of him, he didn't use, uh, he didn't have the perfect cheekbones and the, you know, salon products, wavy hair and all that. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? That, that's not how Jesus looked. He was a very ordinary man. You would have walked right by him and not noticed him. Okay? And so Jesus, this ordinary man in his physical form, sits down and he brings the disciples together. I think the sitting down is even a testimony or a picture of what he's trying to teach them, that, I, that what's coming up for us next is not to stand up with some sort of authority and say, this is how it is, but I'm going to show you, the lesson I want you to learn is this, I want to learn, teach you how to sit down. I want to teach you how to sit down and listen to what I am trying to teach you, to get in sync with where I want to go. And so that's what he does. He sits down, and what does he do next? Visual illustration. He brings a child. That what the, that what, that's what that verse says there, isn't it? Verse 35, 36. And he took a child and sat him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one, one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So he sits down and he brings the child before him. Taylor, you want to come up here real quick? Okay. I don't like bringing children up here, but we're just going to do it for a second, okay? Jesus, he sits down, and he brings the child, and there's kind of a little pause there in the verse, isn't it? It says that he brings the child up, and it says after he took him up in his arms. So I, I kind of get the impression that maybe 
there was a little bit of time that the kid maybe ran up and perhaps he had words with him. He talked with them. The kid's smiling just like this guy, right? This is my son, Taylor, here. And he put, takes him up in his lap. And he looks out at the disciples. And they're looking for an example to follow. Remember, they saw Moses and Elijah. They were thinking about building tabernacles. They were thinking about conquerors. We're going to de- destroy Rome. These Pharisees, we're going to have the last laugh. And he says, you want to follow me? You want to know the mood, the attitude of my ministry? the direction we're heading in Jerusalem, where it's going to take us, it's not to be like that. It's to be like this. That this child will teach you more about how you're supposed to be as my disciple than trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. Because I'm sure in that argument about who's going to be the greatest, they weren't thinking, who's going to be the most like a child? Who's going to be the most adolescent? Who's going to be the most innocent among us? No, they were probably picking out colors for their robes and their sashes and their crowns and, you know, all the things. You know what I mean? That's how, well, that's how people do, right? We think five steps ahead. And uh, he says, no, if you want to know the direction I'm going, it's this way. And your ministry, my ministry, the way we're going is going to be such that we're going to receive children. This is going to be an example of a servant. You can go sit down. Love you. So he's going to teach them what a servant is. Now you say, why? What, a child and a servant. What, what does that mean? I mean, why, how would that be a good example? We'll, we'll catch this. And this, I think, is kind of the fulcrum that the whole uh, message here kind of balances on. That Jesus is telling them, we are going to, that if you're going to be the greatest, you're going to have to be last and servant of all. So that's how it, the verse 35 ends, right? And servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. You know what's neat about children? Well, a lot of things. Pastor's really good about preaching about children. Pretty good authority on it because he's got a bunch of them, right? And uh, we appreciate that. And I've learned a lot from him and their family. The neat thing about children is that or a time when the children, children are most adorable, most precious, most make you want to say, oh, or, or wow, isn't that great? Is when children know that they're children. You know what I mean? Now it's neat on a wedding when they're wearing their little tuxedo or their dress or whatever, and they look more adult-like. But for the most part, it's, it's neat to dress a child up like an adult, but you wouldn't want a, a child to act like an adult, right? It's much sweeter for Taylor being uh, six Right. Being six years old to walk up to you and say, hi, do you want to hear what I had for dinner? Versus imagine you walk up and you say, hey, you're blocking our spot out there. Can you move your car? <laughs> you wouldn't think that that was very adorable, right? You would think, uh, excuse me. You're a child. You're supposed to act like a child. <laughs> but a child looks very silly. acted like that. Now, that wasn't even a good New York accent. I'm glad you like that, though. I could go on. I had a few more examples. I won't do it. But that when a child acts like a child, it's precious. The child is in his place, in a place where he can learn and develop, and everything is right. But when that child is acting like something they're not supposed to be, then it just, you, ugh, brat. <laughs> you know what I mean? You think, ugh, glad I don't have to take that thing home, or, you know, I'm never having kids, you know. You see, when you see that sort of thing, and we're not perfect parents by any means, but you can understand my point, Okay. That that is the, what makes a child precious. And I think Jesus is trying to show the disciples here that you're supposed to be like children with God. You're supposed to follow God as dear children. He is supposed to be your father, and you are supposed to follow him. 
And sitting around arguing about who's the greatest and who gets the position and who gets to do what next, you look about as silly as a child, this child that's sitting here, standing here before you, trying to be the leader of this group. That would be ridiculous if that child had come up. And now here's what I find very interesting, is that Jesus in his, in his earthly ministry, of course, perfect knowledge, he was God in the flesh, but in terms of his everyday discourse with people, primarily spoke, especially in the Sea of Galilee region, the north part, primarily spoke Aramaic. And Aramaic is an ancient language. Uh, there's a modern version of it today, but the ancient Aramaic uh, is quite interesting. And one a very interesting thing about it is that in that whole culture up there, children were not revered. Okay? Children were children. The world is an adult's world. The children, you just wait. Now, that's a little backwards from our world today, right? Today, so our society is majorly focused on children. Uh, even, uh, for example, a lot of big Hollywood movies today that are completely inappropriate for children are marketed exclusively to children, right? <laughs> like a movie's rated R and a you know, child can't even get in, and then you go to the toy store and there's all the action figures for the toy that they're not even old enough to go see. You know what I mean by that? That, that our society is built around children. That our, our, the, uh, our children are in school much longer uh, uh, in, in the 21st century than they were in America many centuries back. That um, um, our society is, is in many ways uh, fixed around children and in their society, they weren't. And here's an example of that, that in that time when you spoke in Aramaic, the word for child and the word for servant were the same. And it just depended on context as to when, what meant what. But, the, but there's, a, there's a cultural point there about their society that children had their place as servitude, as they were essentially free help in the home <laughs> and, uh, and children should help in the home, but that that children were servants, that they weren't to be in the adults business, that they had a place that was low. And it wasn't that wasn't a bad thing for them. It's just that that was their place. That was that where they were meant to be. And Jesus tells them that if you're going to be greatest, then you need to be like this child and you need to serve this child, that you need to receive the lowest among you. If you're going to be the greatest among you, that the greatest disciple is going to be the greatest servant and to be like a servant is to be like a child. And I think that's good for children. You know, if we're talking about applying that to children, that we want to teach our children how to be servants. Right now, we want to teach our children to grow up at the right time. But you don't want to try to encourage a child to be too grown up too early. You know what I mean? That that's that can be very harmful for a child that you want to preserve their innocence. But you do want to teach them how to serve. I mean, my, our daughter last night, uh, for the first time, made us coffee, seven years old. And once she hit the button and had it all figured out, Miss Kelly said, I am never making coffee again. <laughs> and Maggie's happy to do it. She's excited and just thinks it's the coolest thing. Good job, Maggie. And uh, she, just, she just loves that. And that's sweet. She's learning, and that's good for her. I think she, she le- should learn that. Maybe coffee might be a little too early to be doing it. She can't drink it, but she likes making it. And uh, but we're trying to teach her that, hey, even as a child, you need to learn how to serve. You need to learn how to work. You need to understand that we are a family and you're not the pinnacle of it, that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And that's good for them. Right. You can take that too far. But um, but when a child grows up and doesn't learn how to serve, that's going to hurt them later when they're older. Right. Because they're going to think if they spend their whole life growing up where everybody's waiting on them hand and foot, 
then they're going to grow up thinking everyone should wait on them hand and foot. And when they go to the grocery store, they're not going to look the attendant in the face and the eleva- they're going to treat the elevator man like he's invisible. And they're going to uh, 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 they're just going to they're going to be a uh, uh, let's just say a drag on our society <laughs> when they think that the whole world is there to be their servant. And especially you think about what we have available to serve us today in terms of technology and and all the things that are available. Imagine how much more when our children are grown that they're going to have at their fingertips. And are they going to have the character that it takes to know how to use that wisely, to know how to use that with integrity? Are they going to grow up thinking the whole world is here to serve me? And now we have a general now we're talking about in our debates and politics about that we don't have enough people to fill lower wage jobs. Well, it's not that we don't have enough people it's that we don't have enough people that are willing to work. That's dangerous, isn't it? Look how far we've come in just a generation where our young people don't want to work. I think we have like 50 percent unemployment uh, with uh, I think it's like 16 to age 16 to 18. Um, uh, it's kind of scary. I, I can remember when I was having to go to get a work permit when I was 15 at school so I could go throw newspapers. And uh, things are very different today. I remember last winter when it snowed and one of the cranky old guys in the neighborhood came up to me and said, well, you shovel my sidewalk. And I was going to shovel the church's sidewalk. I had the shovel in my hand. And I said, sorry, man, I, I've got to go. And he wanted to pay me. And I said, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I've got something I've got to take care of here. And he goes, I don't understand it. In my day, when it snowed, everybody got their shovels and went and made money. Now they're all sitting in school. And, you know, school is important, but I think I understand what he's getting at, that we, if you don't teach your child how to serve when they're young, it's going to hurt them. And this is what Jesus is teaching the disciples, that if you want to follow me, if you want to understand the direction, the mood of my ministry, it is this service. It's not about greatness, glory and greatness. That comes later. That's in eternity. That's when Jesus takes over this world. Praise God. I'm, th- I'm glad he hasn't called us to take over the world. We're not interested in making some worldwide caliphate. We're not interested in ushering in a golden age. We're interested in being servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says it's time, he will take this world over. Praise God for that. I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm glad that responsibility even isn't on us, although that's what the Muslims and the Catholic Church teach. But anyway, so his, the direction of his ministry was servitude. And Jesus tells them, if you want to come to if you want to be my servants, you need to be like this little child, because a child understands exactly where he belongs. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get too big for our britches, to use the expression, we look about as silly as these disciples. We look about as silly as that child trying to tell you to go move your car. We look about as silly as how many of you have seen the five and six year olds walking around with iPhones lately, right? Doesn't that look weird? Like, you're not old enough for that, you know, but they got them, right? And uh, you look just that silly when we're trying to take authority and leadership for our lives that God hasn't given to us. When we're trying to tell God, God, I want to be your disciple, but this is how I want to be your disciple. This is how I'm going to follow you. You see, this is how I'm gifted. This is what makes me special. I understand the rule. Yes, I understand. You want all the disciples to be like children. You want all the disciples to follow you to Jerusalem and to be persecuted. And, and that, was, that was what was going to happen to them, right? But I'm different. I'm special. I'm an exception to the rule, Lord. And so I'm going to serve you in this way. And we look about as silly in the eyes of God as a child trying to act like a grown-up. Can I encourage us all here tonight Just for a simple reminder, that's all the message is, we're children. We're the children of God. And I would encourage you not to think of that as some demeaning, oh, I'm just a child, but I'm a child. How many people do you hear say, oh, to be young again? 
Or, oh, youth is wasted on the young. Or, oh, to be a teenager again. Or, oh, I would do things different. Oh, if I could just go back. Hey, we don't have to feel that way. We get to be God's children forever. He's our, we never have to leave home. He is always going to be our father. Isn't that an exciting thought? We tell kids, don't grow up too fast, right? People tell my kids that all the time. Or people tell me sometimes, don't let them grow up. Don't let them grow up. Don't stop feeding them. Don't let them get any bigger, you know. Because it just it goes so quick. I just lost my youth recently. I turned 30. And so my youth is over. And so I know exactly what they're talking about. But I'm telling you, we have eternal youth as children of God. We are eternally God's children. He forever wants us to be his children in his eyes. Does that mean be immature? No. <laughs> it's to be exactly what he expects us to be. Does it mean that we don't grow? No. Children are supposed to grow. But we have, we have that, pro- that process of, of innocence and growing to maturity, but maintaining purity. We have that process um, that is in such short supply in our world today that it's, for some people, what I'm talking about, it doesn't even register in their mind because they've, they've really never even seen it. They've never got to experience or perhaps their innocence was taken from them when they were a child and they never got to have a good childhood. And I, and I, and I, I plead for people like that. And our city is groaning with uh, children in that sort of situation where they're, they're growing up way too fast and they're involved in things they should never be involved in. And they're seeing things on that ridiculous phone and on the Internet that they should never have to see in their child as a child. And they're and, and, and that's a tragedy. But I'm telling you, when that that pure picture of an innocent child coming up to Jesus and sitting in his lap and everything is right and everything is the way it's supposed to be. And he's growing and learning right there with the master. We get to not just enjoy that for a moment and then it's gone, but we are locked in and that is secured for all of eternity. Friends, we're children of God. And I would encourage you here tonight, maybe in our spiritual lives. Now, listen, I want you to encourage you to be adults, pay your bills, work your job. Okay, don't don't you know what I'm saying? Don't start sucking your thumb or something like that. But I want to tell you, spiritually, some of us were just too grown up. And can I say that the pulpit is often guilty? Me personally, that the preacher thinks, no, he's I'm the preacher. So I'm, you know, and and preachers have fallen to that temptation. Pastor Montour and I have talked about that at length, (laughs) that sometimes we just get too big for our britches as preachers. Do you know what? We all need to remind ourselves we are the children of God. You know what's neat about children? That's what the next part of the passage is. I've ran out. I've run out of time, so I can't go into it. But. It says in verse 38, and John answered. So they have John speak up. That's funny because they've already are embarrassed and they're afraid to talk to Jesus because he's confronting them about what they're up to. So they send John to talk to him. So he's like the most favorable among the disciples, the one that was closest to him. So, of course, they get John to speak for them, which is kind of clever on their part, I guess. And he starts to basically talk about other disciples that are following Jesus, but they're not following them. They're not in their group and they're doing things. And there's disciples out there that are doing things in the name of Jesus. They're casting out demons, but they're not doing with us. And Jesus says, leave them alone. So he addresses the kind of the interpersonal relationships that disciples have among each other. And that's funny because children are great about that. That children, they walk up to each other, especially when they're, you know, three, four, five years old, they walk up to each other. Hi, you want to be best friends? Okay. And they go off and they play, right? Because they're kids. They meet their cousins for the first time. Instant friends. Because they're family. This is my family. They're excited. Boom. They run off. 
I'm telling you, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, it would solve so many of our problems together. And I don't know of any in here tonight, okay? But it's here in the passage, so I do want to address it, that any fighting, any quarreling amongst us, it's often because we're just acting too grown up. The old expression is too many chiefs and not enough Indians. You know what I mean? We say that to our kids a lot. That too many people trying to say who's the greatest among us instead of everyone saying we're all God's children. We're all part of the same family. I want to encourage you here tonight that the greatest in God's kingdom are the least among men. We're learning this in, in North Brooklyn in a big way because uh, it's, a, it's a growing area. It's a affluent area. It's an area where there's people of means. There's people that are quite successful. Uh, we have some of the large, we have the large, the largest Internet startup in the last five years is world, world headquarters. Kickstarter.com is in our neighborhood, right around the corner from where we meet. There's a lot of people and, and there's, you know, 150 some employees in that building. And so we just see a lot of the success of this world. And it's tempting to get into our head. Well, we, I mean, how, how do we reach successful people? Well, here, we need to think about this, and we need to evaluate this, and we need to, and of course, we want to, we want to reach the people in our area, but we're getting way off track if we start thinking, how can we reach the most successful among us? When we should be focused on, how can we reach the least among us? Because God, that's what God said, isn't it? He said, if you'll receive this child, if you'll give a glass of water, whoever gives that in my name, barely I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. That the least we do in the name of Jesus, has its reward. I've heard preachers say that often when the guy's late carrying the water up to the pulpit. And they quote that verse, you know, whoever brings a cup of water in my name, he's got a blessing, right? Or some of the ushers sometimes we argue about who's going to get the water because, you know, Jesus mentions that and say, hey, I want to get the blessing, right? But the point, and that's funny, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the point is this, that the least we do in the name of Jesus, it's precious. Like when my children bring up a little picture and it's barely discernible what's going on and there's all these abstract forms and it's like a cubist painting and there you know there's all these uh uh different shapes and everything and and uh, so what's the first thing i say oh that's great what is it why don't you tell me what it is <laughs> you know it's it's you preaching daddy or it's, or it's us eating dinner or it's you know it's us at school or you know and you know what it's precious to me and you may feel like the little you're doing for jesus the little you're doing for God, you saying, God, this is all I can do. I don't have any money. And so I'm trying to do this little thing. And, and all I do is, you know, as I, I fill up the water for pastor, all I do is hold the door open. And all I do is try to meet the, the new guests that come to the church. And all I do is sit there at Brother Mike's church. I don't even do anything. I'm telling you, the least that we do for the Lord Jesus, it's precious to him. Because it shows that we've done, we've done the best we can with the little that we have. I don't expect them to come up and paint a Picasso. That's way beyond their ability. I expect them to just do the best that they can. And I'm telling you, it's precious. And when we serve the Lord as dear children, then he will be a father to us. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. He wants you to be part of that family. That he's made a way for you to be adopted in. He's made a way for you to be a part of it. That's hard. Because sometimes you see families and you think, wow, it'd be cool to be a part of that family. But there's no way in. But there's a way in with God's family. And it's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you simply turn from your sin, put your faith in him, then you can be brought into that family, become dear children of God. I would encourage you to do that tonight. Christians, if you're here tonight and you've just been a little too big for your britches lately in your spiritual life, I want to, normally the preacher stands up, not our preacher, but normally a preacher evangelist something and tells Christians, grow up. I'm going to 
just encourage us tonight that we also remember sometimes we need to stop growing up. We need to grow down a little bit. <laughs> and we need to remember who we are, children of God. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I think we're going to have a regular invitation tonight. Time of prayer. Feel free to use the altar. Don't be like the disciples. It says that they held their peace. It says that they understood not. They were embarrassed. They just, they didn't get it. Jesus wasn't mad at them. In fact, they're they're not going to get it again. This, This situation is going to repeat itself multiple times. But I want to tell you something, that Peter got it. In the end, he got it. And you read First and Second Peter, and you see, wow. This is a bold man. This is a man who knows who he is. He knows his humble origins. He knows where he would be if it wasn't for God. And he stands up with great boldness as just a living testimony. But he learned that by becoming like a little child and learning the lessons that need to be learned. When Jesus sits you down, if God's trying to sit you down, teach you something tonight, please take advantage of the invitation time.